yeah, Coach Nagy's a great coach. Um, you know, uh, I know there's been a lot of outside talk or whatever, but, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's, you know, he's coached me to the best of his ability. And, um, you know, he's a great person uh, on and off the field. And, you know, I'm just, you know, happy I got to experience this, this first year with him. And, um, you know, just all the players and all the coaches. Dallas Hall via Zoom after it was announced he will or at least is preparing to be the starting quarterback again for the finale against the Vikings on Sunday. And those were his comments about his head coach, Matt Nagy, only NFL head coach he has known. So we will see what comes next in that regard. Right now, what comes next here is a very special guest. I am Hub Arkish with you till 9 o'clock, broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. And our guest line, our score hotline, is presented by Circa Resort and Casinos in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. It is the Circa Resort and Casino uh, guest line. Uh, yes, guest line that uh, Adam Hogue joined us on last hour, and now we welcome in Greg Gabriel. And Greg, of course, needs no introduction in Chicago. A 30-plus year NFL scout, uh, participated in the building of a couple Super Bowl teams in New York. Was the director of college scouting for the Chicago Bears here in town. And uh, Greg, I really appreciate you taking time out tonight. Um, uh, you know, I, I think there's a feeling around town that everybody knows what is going to happen with Matt Nagy. It's not confirmed, but I, I think most would be surprised if it didn't go the way they expected to. But there's a lot less certainty about what may or may not be going on with, with, with Ryan Pace. And, and so I guess the place where we would start is that those uh, Pace critics believe that he may be an evaluator, but has not been a qualified director of football operations. And I expect you've worked in, in both scenarios. Uh, which one do you think the Bears should be focused on right now? Well, you know, I think when you're trying to evaluate Ryan Pace, you've got to look at a, at a number of things. You look at the free agent acquisitions, the players he's drafted, players he's traded for, but there's also the day-to-day -day duties that he has done, part of which was uh, doing that huge expansion of, of Hallis Hall and another that really never gets mentioned. And it's really all Ryan Pace is how the Bears handled COVID over the last two years. And in fairness, he's done a remarkable job. The Bears have had less problem with COVID than I think just about any team in the league. Yeah, you know, and it, it's funny because some of that should extend to Matt too, but but Matt Nagy gets judged on a, a you know through a different prism. I mean, you know, for the head coach, it's always going to be about wins and losses, and particularly when you're brought in to fix an offense that, you know, certainly isn't better than it was four years ago. I, I don't know if it's as good. Um, uh, so when when you get to Ryan. Um, uh, in your observation, I guess is the only fair way to put it. Um, could you see a scenario where it, it could make sense and, and be a good fit to retain him, but bring in either help for him or possibly even somebody above him? You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't know what the hell's going to happen. Um, you know, as well, I know you came out and said yesterday that you thought he was going to stay. Uh, Bigsy wrote this morning the same thing, uh, and both of you guys got some pretty darn good sources. So, you know, I, I would think that it's probably better than 50-50 that he's here, but what role is he going to be in? And that, that's the unknown, 
and it's still going to be six days before we really have the answer to that, maybe seven days. Um, personally, you know, I, I, I know Ryan not well, but I've talked to him a few times, and, I, I, you know, I like him. Has he made some mistakes? Of course. But you can't find a guy in the league who sits in that chair that hasn't made a mistake or, or a bunch of mistakes and still gone on to have a pretty good career. And, and you know, I'll give you one name. Tommy Telesco is on his third head coach, mm-hmm. but he's doing a pretty darn good job in, in uh, I was going to say in San Diego, because it's been that way for so long, yeah. but with the, with the Chargers in LA and the same thing with, with uh, Arizona, you know, he, he's on his, his third head coach. Heck, he might be on his fourth, but um, you know, it, it, it's a rough business. And, the John Fox thing did, does not belong to Ryan Pace. That one was given to him, so to speak, or or forced upon him. So the only hire he's made was was Nagy, and to be fair, Nagy was the hot candidate, and everybody was all excited when he made that hire. Bears hit the home run, and after the first year, they thought continued to say that, and then things went south for whatever reason. And, you know, talking to people around the league, I have a, a pretty good idea why, but they did. And uh, it, I think it's obvious to every, everybody that there's going to be a change made, you know, next week. It's who's going to be in that role, too. So it's really there's going to be a lot going on, and, and Bears fans are obviously going to be interested. But to me, it, it's not necessarily who's going to be brought back. It's who's coming in and, you know, who's the coach going to be? If there's going to be somebody else in the front office, who is that going to be? And are they going to make this franchise stronger and better? We're visiting with Greg Gabriel on the score hotline presented by Circa resort and casinos in Las Vegas. And, and Greg, uh, you know, I, I try to make the point with Ryan, a, a lot of his critics uh, beyond, you know, coaching hiring and, and anything else, just aren't happy with his talent. And and the point that I try and make regularly is I've been doing this 45 years and I've never seen a GM or a personnel director, or a talent evaluator that bats a thousand. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, and I'm curious, having done the job, you know, your director of college scouting for 10 years, is there an acceptable batting average? I mean, was there ever a, a target that you guys ascribed to that, that you know, we got to hit on this many to know that we're, we're going to be successful and win? Well, I'll tell you the stat I use to, to, to kind of back up that we did a good job. And we didn't hit anywhere near 100% with our first-round picks. But we picked 12 Pro Bowlers in nine drafts of that was year. And I'll match that against anybody. And that hasn't happened since we left. So <laughs> the point is you got to draft quality players throughout the draft starting in round one. And, and there was three years while I was here, we didn't even have a first round pick, but we did real good in the middle and late rounds. And we get, you know, we hit home runs in the second round with Devin Hester, Matt Forte, uh, with Tilm, Peanut Tillman, Lance Briggs, you know, so every round's important. And, and while we didn't always have great first rounders, our overall drafts were outstanding. Well, and, and I know that your job was director of college scouting, but you worked with Bobby on the pro side, Bobby DePaul. And, and, and I'm curious, just from your observation, if nothing else, or in working with Bobby, what about free agency? Uh, how, how 
how would a team value or rate that in terms of, you know, success or, or failure? Well, it, it's, you know, it's interesting. Again, you got to look at, at, at the acquisitions and, and some of them like Lennon for that was, that was a disaster, but then, um, you know, some of the other guys brought in through the, the court, Danny Trevathan, and we can name a bunch of others have, have been very solid players. And some have been brought in for, for basically peanuts. And, and Quinn last year was brought in. It looked like that was a, a bad deal. And this year he's one of the premier pass rushers in the NFL. So that turns out to be a very good signing. Now, supposedly there's some reasons. We don't know all the reasons for, for why he did not have his, a season in, in 2020 like we all expected him to, but he's more than made up for it in 21. And the way he's playing, I see no reason why there should be a drop-off in 22. Now, you know, coming back and having 18 sacks next year would, you know, be almost impossible. But if he gets into double digits, it's still a hell of an acquisition. Greg, um, uh, you know, I know you've been away from it for a couple of years, uh, but still have friends everywhere and, and know people around the business. Uh, are there, if in fact the Bears decide that the front office needs a president of football operations, a director of football operations, whether Ryan stays or not, um, are there are there any names that we should be listening to that you can think of, guys that you know are either you know, veteran candidates ready for another go around, or some of the hot young prospects that that, that they're looking for the first shot? Oh, well, I you know I I got a list here of of a bunch of guys that I don't know if they'd be good presidents of of football operations, but they'd be damn good GM candidates. And I can you know read off some of the names. And one was a a was with us. We brought him in in 2001, uh, left maybe five, six years later to go to Washington. Then he was at Cleveland. He was director of player personnel. Now he's with the Colts. You know, he was in a bad situation in Washington, a worse situation in Cleveland. Now he's in a super situation with the Colts, but that's Morocco Brown. And I know you know Morocco. And Morocco's, very, you know, he's 22 years in the league, real smart guy outstanding evaluator and you know some of these names i'm going to mention these guys are names you're not going to always hear but when you talk to people around the league they're the first names off their off their lips that's why i'm asking you because i know our listeners would love to hear (laughs) (laughs) okay another guy because i you know knowing we were going in this direction tonight i you know i made my calls brian zanders who's with Mm -hmm. the rams that he was brian was the gm under Josh McDaniels in Cleveland, but he was, or not Cleveland, Denver, Denver. but he was the, he was the uh, GM in name only. McDaniels ran the whole show trying to be Belichick. And as we both know, there's only one Belichick. And so Xander's got, was really put into a bad situation. So do you hold that against him? Well, people who work with him in LA and know about his work with LA, they all jump on the table for him. And they say he is outstanding in a lot of different areas. He knows and understands the cap, knows how to work the cap. He's a very good evaluator. He knows and understands the analytical part of the game. So, you know, there's there's a lot of areas in which he's really strong. I, you know, I know Brian. I don't know him well. God, because I haven't been on the road in a long time. It's been a while since I've talked to him, but a really good guy. Uh the name that you mentioned a lot is Rick Smith. 
everybody loves Rick Smith. The only negative I get about Rick from people I talk to around the league is that his personnel staff when he was with Houston was not strong, that he himself was very strong, but some of the people he hired were not. So that could be a question, but you know, he also probably understands what he did well and what he didn't do well when he was in uh, Houston and, you know, is going to make the second time around. If he gets that second time around, he's going to, um, and he'd still be working if it wasn't for the personal situation that he had. Um, so, you know, he, he, he's a strong candidate. Uh, an, another guy that uh, people talk about a lot that you don't hear is Dan Morgan, who is now the assistant GM with the Panthers. He was with the Bills for a number of years. He played in the league, uh, was a linebacker, mm-hmm. uh, really good personnel guy. And again, and being an ex-player, he knows the game. He understands it from the player's side. Uh, and then Will McClay from Dallas who's the director of player personnel. I personally don't know Will, but everybody I talk to says a lot of really strong, positive things about him. And and one last name, Jojo Wooten, who I've known, you know, for God, 20, 25 years. He's been with the Jets. He's the, the uh, player personnel director with the Chargers right now. Another strong evaluator who's, you know, and all these guys have paid their dues. They're not like necessarily the hot newcomer that has somebody throwing their name, you know, has somebody in the media throwing their name out all over the place. These are guys who work hard, they're grinders. And, you know, that's the type of guy that I gravitate to that, you know, want to work 14, 15 hours a day. And and that's what all these guys are like. Well, Greg, thank you. I mean, it's a great list. And I know it's something that people want to get. And it sometimes is hard to, to, to get your arms around because there's, you know, there's the high profile guys uh, and there's only a handful of those and most of them are working. Um, and, and, and so you're always looking for the next, uh, well, the next Ryan Pace, if in fact there is going to be a change and, and someone who's able to take better advantage of it. Before uh, I let you go, I, I do have to get your opinion um, on the coaching situation. You've now... Um, in the George McCaskey era, hired Mark Tressman. Uh, that was, and I'm not saying George did. Obviously, Phil Emery did. You hired Phil Emery, and then yep. he hired George McCaskey. Uh, hired uh, Mark Tressman. Uh, that didn't work. So you went out and had Ernie Acorsi come in and help you, and you hired Ryan Pace, and then you hired John Fox, and 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 then you hired Matt Nagy. So um, you've had the the, the lifer in his first job, and that was kind of a disaster. You've had the veteran in his third job, and that was actually kind of a disaster when you look at the record. And then you went out and got the young up-and-comer. And, and, you know, it's ironic. If, in fact, Matt does lose the job, he will be one of the rare coaches in his first job who loses it with a winning record in four years, two trips to the playoffs. And, and, and coaching yeah, two award. playoff appearances. You know, yeah. You know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Some people say, and, and some people that, that know him, is that Matt just wasn't ready. He needed to be a coordinator another couple of years. And and then he had all that success, obviously, the first year, but it, it wasn't it wasn't sustainable for whatever reason. And, you know, I, I worked with Matt for one year in Philly in 2012, really did not know him very well because Andy kept the coaches away from the personnel staff during training camp and that training camp was also the year that Andy lost his son so that in itself was a very very 
tough and difficult year, but uh, I did get to know him. I really like him. I was hoping the best, but obviously it didn't work out. Now I, I, I got my own list of names for the head coaching job too. If, 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 if it indeed opens up and my first name, the guy right on the top is Todd Bowles. Mm-hmm. And, and I people think we're spending too much time together because I've been saying for two weeks now. <laughs> that is my friend. I didn't know that you felt that way. He, he's absolutely my it, again. I am a Matt Nagy fan. I do understand that a change may be necessary and may be required and, and may be justified. But if it happens, uh, yeah, Todd Bowles is my first choice. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and 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 another really good guy. I worked with Todd for one year, but I've known him for better than 20. And he's worked under Parcells for a few years, and, and there's nobody better to work with and or work under. Uh, but he's been with good people. He's been with Andy Reid. He was in Philly in 2012 when I was there after he was the uh, interim head coach in Miami. Had a raw deal in New York. He worked with the world's worst GM ever. Uh, and, that's, and so it's just a, a terrible situation for him. He deserves a second chance. Uh, he's proven that beyond reasonable doubt down in Tampa Bay. Uh, and he's got some old school to him. And, and I like that. He's a tough well, players love him because he, you know, he played eight years in the league and he knows and understands players very well. He also can get after their ass and, and give them a kick when they need it and can be a tough guy. And, and that's what I, I really like and respect about him. The key, though, when you're hiring a defensive coach and just spent a first-round pick on a on a quarterback is who is his offensive coordinator going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, his agent's a good friend of mine. I know some people that are on their list, and they might even have made that decision by now who is it, who it's going to be. But there's some – I can't give out the names, but there's some very interesting names mm-hmm. on that list as far as running the offense. And the next guy I'd go to would be um, – Brian DeBall, the um, offensive coordinator at Buffalo. I love the offense, but what I like about it even more, like when you when you brought in Matt Nagy, you brought in Andy Reid's offense. And that's like trying to bring in Bill Belichick's defense. If you don't have Andy Reid, you don't have the, the, the guy who, who really runs the show. And Andy makes that offense go. It's like Bill makes everything in New England go. Nobody can imitate him. And, and that's one of the reasons why I would not go and talk to Eric Bieniemy because it's Matt Nagy all over again. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not getting a play caller. You're getting a guy who is an offensive coordinator, but the real offensive coordinator and the guy who designed that offense is Andy Reid. Well, with Brian DeBall, he designed the offense. And he's made changes to the offense depending on the players that he had when he got the receiver, when he got digs from, from Minnesota last year, he changed that offense dramatically, but even more important, the work he did with Josh Allen is remarkable. I mean, he took a guy that was a 55% uh, completion thrower in college and turned him into a 68% completion uh, percentage guy in the NFL. and, And that really, really happens. And his what he lacks in Buffalo is a strong running game. But when you look at the personnel, Buffalo's best running back would be the number three running back here. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I think he would be an excellent choice. Uh, Matt Eberfuss plus the uh, D coordinator with the Colts is deserving. 
Um, he's a guy that, you know, works under uh, a bunch of good people in, in Dallas and uh, uh, then has been in, in, um, in Indiana with the Colts, what, for four years now. Always had a good defense, another good guy, and and got some old school to him. And, and then my my guy that I my go to guy, so to speak, would be Dave Tope. And I don't know why Dave doesn't give interviews anymore, but we we both know Dave very well. And I, I, I think when you talk to people like Pat Manley and Olin, they all jump on the table for him. Yep. You know, Greg, when, when I look at the success of the relatively few special teams coaches who get the opportunity, it, it always is a marvel to me that more don't. And, and Dave uh, is the best special teams coach in the business. And, and I think that it will be a mistake uh, if any team with a head coaching opening does not uh, at least give an interview and, and serious consideration to Dave. So, hey, listen, buddy, I, I am I'm way past my deadline, but you had such good information. This is exactly the kind of thing our listeners want. Uh, we do expect there is going to be some level of change. We don't know how much. And two great lists of names, both front office and coaches. So thank you so much for that. Uh, thank you for taking time out for us tonight. I'm going to be doing a fair amount of hosting in the next couple of weeks. And uh, assuming that there's a lot of flex around the league, I hope we'll talk again real soon. Sounds good, Hub, anytime. All right, that is Greg Gabriel, of course, longtime NFL scout and 10-year director of college scouting for the Chicago Bears. We got the phone lines pretty well jammed. Uh, the, the number, of course, 312-644-6767. Text line is the same. I'll get to some of your texts. We've got another great guest coming up in a few minutes. So, guys, uh, keep it going right here. You've got 670 to score. After what you said last week about what it would mean to win your fourth MVP, what, what do you think of one of the 50 voters coming out and saying yesterday, quote, I don't think you can be the biggest jerk in the league and punish your team and your organization and your fan base the way he did and be the MVP. I think he's a bad guy, and I don't think a bad guy can be the MVP at the same time. I think he's a bum. I think he's an absolute bum. He doesn't know me. I don't know who he is. No one knew who he was probably until yesterday's comments. But, I mean, to and I listened to the comments, but to say – he had his mind made up in the summertime, in the offseason, that, you know, I had zero chance of winning the VP. In my opinion, should exclude, you know, future future votes. Um, you know, his problem isn't with me being a bad guy or the biggest jerk in the league. Because he doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know anything about me. I mean, I've never met him. I've never had lunch with him. I've never had an interview with him. Um, his problem is I'm not vaccinated. You know, so if he wants to go on a crusade and collude and come up with an, an extra letter to put on the award just for this season and make it the most valuable vaccinated player, then he should do that. But he's a bum, and I'm not going to waste any time worrying about that stuff. He has no idea who I am. He's never, never talked to me in his life, but it's... That is Aaron Rodgers uh, responding when asked by a Green Bay Packer reporter uh, his thoughts on, on the unfortunate comments that I made last night. Um, the only thing I would add to that is that I have interviewed Aaron Rodgers multiple times, one-on-one, -on, -one, on the football field following Packers games in my work for Westwood One. Uh, I don't necessarily expect him to remember. Uh, I know he does a lot of those interviews, but uh, I've lost count of how many one-on-one -on -one interviews he and I have done. Um, that is not relevant uh, to what happened last night. 
I was wrong and I apologize. Uh, and those were his comments when asked about it. So with that, let's get back to the phone lines. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. And first up, I believe is Todd who's out in Dwight. Oh, poor Todd. On top of everything else, Todd, what happened to you this year, man? I don't mean to laugh. I know it's not funny, but I, did, I, I wasn't paying attention. I didn't realize you were coming up first. You have my sympathy, man. Uh, in some ways, I feel like you've had a tougher season than I have. No doubt. I'm always here to make the Bear fans feel better. And I wasn't going to address it, but, uh, you know, after listening to uh, what played before I came on, if you will, and I know you don't need me or anybody else to uh, crusade for you, but uh, I just want to tell you and thank you personally. You know, you've always been nothing but a class act to me. The fact that you let me come on and talk about the Browns in the Chicago market, you've always been gracious. And we have actually met a couple times at remote, and you've mentioned that. And so, um, you know, and I listen to uh, the score all the time, and I listened yesterday, and there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, don't let the facts get in the way of the uh, perceived truth. Um, you know, you made it very clear your issue was how we held the whole city and uh, the franchise and the fans hostage. It really wasn't about being vaccinated, and, and without getting into it again, you came out and you apologized, and uh, which I think shows a lot of class. You always do. You remind guys like me with our pitchforks and torches that want to like that's what I'm going to get to that want to run a quarterback or a coach out of town. You remind us that these are, it doesn't matter if they make $10, 10 million or 10 billion, they're still people. They still have feelings and there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. Uh, you know, and, uh, I, I appreciate that. You keep us balanced. And, uh, anyways, I just, you know, I, I wanted to say, you know, and I, I, to my knowledge, I don't think Aaron Rodgers has ever apologized for, holding his fan base hostage or uh, the vaccines. And he doesn't have to, he's, you know, but uh, anyways, I just, uh, you know, I, I think you are a hundred percent class act and I'm appreciative. You always let me talk. Having said that, yes, I'm, I'm as down as I've been in a while because when the Browns, <laughs> when the Browns, I'm not laughing bad, at you, man, I'm laughing with you. I hope you no. know that. <laughs> no, I know how they, we've been doing this. I can't even tell you. It's probably been a decade now, but uh, um, it was easier I went on to Cleveland, the fan, and I talked to Ken Carmen, who I'm, I don't know if you know personally, but I'm sure you've worked with or know of him. And uh, I said, I'm actually more down this year because, you know, when there's no expectation, it's, you know, if you haven't had a date, you know, for three straight years, another Saturday night doesn't bother you. That's kind of how it was for the last 20 years with the Browns. But high expectations, and I do believe there's talent on this team. And and uh, it was, losing 7-9, and um, you got – major issues with the quarterback concerns about the coaching. It's, it's just the same old story, but I will. And, and then again, we still have a, a loose cannon for an owner. Although to my knowledge, he's done a much better job of getting out of the way and letting football people do it. I do like Barry. Uh, I think he, you know, I, I, I have faith in him or I, I'm um, optimistic, cautiously optimistic about our GM, but uh, yeah, I, <laughs> It uh, was hard to watch him go down. Um, the thing that really disappoints me as far as Stefanski goes is they looked listless. Not a lot of fight, and I know it's easy. You know, I'm sitting out. I do my best coaching and reffing from my couch, and I do my best parenting with other people's kids. I mean, that's just the way the world goes. But, uh, you know, I just I don't understand why it doesn't look like they're playing as hard as they should. And even Joe Petonio kind of called some, you know, indirectly called some people out. Um, I'm really down on Baker and I, you know, I know he's hurting this and that, but you know, it's the NFL. If you're out there, you can't use, you know, I'll use uh, Robert Quinn as an example. We thought he was hurt, but you never heard there was no excuses. And I mean, maybe we'll have a Baker rebound, but it, my question is about Baker is uh, it really sounds like he's 
out the door, and it's not national media, it's local. And even reading the tea leaves with Stefanski. So my question is, what do you think happened? Do you think it's as simple as injury? Um, do you, you know, like I know you were kind of high on him coming out of college, and we've talked about him before, and I know the answer, and I know uh, uh, Dan Gabriel would say the same thing, like, well, who are you going to get that's better, Dave Lundstedt? And the answer is right now there's nobody out there that's definitely better and change for the sake of change. So I need you to top me off that ledge. But my really biggest concern about Stefanski is, is you know, the the listlessness that the team's showing. And then, you know, just your experience in the NFL, again, my armchair quarterbacking, how do you have Nick Chubb? And I know they said he might have been hurt too, but it wasn't just against the Steelers. How do you have such a good offensive line and such a good running back and a hurt quarterback and just insist and I think there's a lot of similarity there with Matt Nagy where you watch, and it's like, why do you keep doing the same thing over and over? Um, you know, I mean, so help me process, you know, why Stefanski was so unwilling to use in what many people think were his, his, his best weapons. Well, Todd, I, you know, the real mystery, I'll, I'll start at the end, uh, I mean, is that that's what got him a head coaching gig was being a conservative run-the-ball defense offensive coordinator, you know, and, and so – that's where it all gets so mysterious in, in having that running game and not being able to take full advantage of it. Um, I, listen, we talked during the offseason and the preseason coming into this year, and I said I thought that this team was a little overrated. Everybody was on the Browns bandwagon. And, you know, sometimes just because you make high-profile free agency signings and have attractive-looking draft picks until they play and do it on the field, uh, you don't know what you have. Obviously, the OBJ trade was a mistake, and they had to unwind that and work through that and get rid of that distraction. Um, I don't know what to make of Baker Mayfield. I, I absolutely believe the injury is a big part of it, though. I know he's better than the player that we've seen in the last five, six, seven weeks, um, but I, it's, it's a bit puzzling at this stage of his development for him to, to, to go as far backwards as he did, you know, even with the injuries. So, um, uh, Kevin Stefanski has still got a lot left to prove. Um, I, I think that they have, they, they should be a playoff team. When I say they're a bit overrated, there were people who said maybe a Super Bowl or, you know, you know, an AFC title game. I didn't really see that, but there certainly is enough talent there to be a playoff team. And I think this is one, you know, Greg Gabriel just mentioned it in regard to, to, to Ryan Pace. And I just don't think we talk about it enough. Even though the situation and the rules have been the same for everybody, operating these last two years with COVID has been a whole new NFL world. It's completely different from whatever any of these guys have ever been trained to experience and to flourish in and to succeed with, whether they be coaches or players. And, and the fact that it's the same for everybody doesn't mean you just throw it out and ignore it when you evaluate them on their individual accomplishments and performance. And, and I, I think it's one of the reasons that you may see the fewest head coaching changes that we've seen in a number of years is, is you, you better be careful here because a lot of what's happened is due to COVID and the protocols and the changes in the way these guys have been able to operate. And I think the Browns may be a classic example of that because, you know, obviously with the outbreaks, they got hit as bad as anybody else. Um, and there is too much talent on that team for them to be playing the way they've played the last few weeks. So, you know, Todd, I would say chin up. I, I don't have a good answer for you on Baker, though. I, I, I'm hearing what you're hearing, 
And my sense is that they are ready to move on. And my sense is also that that would be a mistake because I, 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 I'm not ready to quit on Mitch Trubisky as eventually being a winning NFL quarterback, not a franchise quarterback, not a great one. But I still think he can be a game manager and, and make enough plays to take a team to the playoffs and win some playoff games. And I think Baker Mayfield can too, just based on the traits and, and the flashes that we've seen. And so um, if they do move on from Baker, it's going to be a pretty interesting um you know, quarterback group out there that is available in free agency. So we'll keep an eye on that and see what happens. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. You probably don't want to dial us up now, though. The lines are packed. I've got a guest coming in. For those of you who've been waiting, guys, I apologize. I, I really appreciate it. We're trying to get to everybody. Mark is going to be my last guest of the evening. So once we say goodbye to Mark, we're going to have over an hour of nothing but your calls. I'll get everybody in and out quickly. If you don't want to hang on, you want to hang up and call us back in about 10, 15 minutes, that's fine. Or just hang on, listen to the show. We're going to get to all of you right now, though. A very quick commercial break. And on the other side, Mark Potash, the outstanding Bears beat reporter from the Chicago Sun-Times tells us what he heard and is hearing this week at Hallis Hall. Already come out and said, Skip, he's not voting for Rodgers because he's a bad guy, the biggest and the biggest jerk in the league. So he's he's on the record. He's made it abundantly clear. That was Hubbard Christian Chicago, and he's died in the wool bears, and they hate Green Bay. But what, did, what did Aaron do at Soldier Field? I own you. Remember that? But he ain't lie. Mm-hmm. What he said about Aaron Rodgers is true. Okay. It's true. Yeah. And I'm sure some other voters would concur. Right. That, I believe, was uh, Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless uh, on their show this morning talking about the the furor, if you will. Um, uh, Skip needs to be a little better informed. Uh, I'm, I'm the one who defended Aaron Rodgers. I own you comments. Um, but hey, guys, listen, everybody's got to have their opinions, and, and, and everybody's certainly entitled to them. And that apparently is what Shannon and, and, and Skip had to say about it this morning. Um, let's get uh, to, the, to the guest line again right now. And we are so fortunate to have uh, our guest line, uh, our score hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Mark Potash um, is the second rank- ranking member of the Chicago Bears uh, beat in town right now. I'm first, but Mark, that's only because I'm so much older than you. It's not because I deserve the job anymore. Uh, we've been around a bit. We've seen a few things. Um, I've tried with my guests tonight. Uh, don't want to involve you in my mess, but I think you're at least marginally aware of what went on. Just want everybody to have the opportunity to offer whatever thoughts they have, whether I need to be punished or or, or uh, given a pass or whatever it may be. If you have any thoughts on the subject, this is the moment, and then we're we're going to talk a little Chicago Bears football. How about I thought I was going to be the dean the way this day, the way this day was going. It looked that way. Didn't it? <laughs> it's almost too hot to touch, but uh, I will say this: Hub, I, I don't, I, I don't think it's not unfair to bring up the vaccination situation, but only if it cost his team, and and it didn't. And, you know, the Packers are still thirteen and three; they're still the number one seed in the NFC. So, in my opinion. By bringing up the vaccination situation when it didn't cost his team anything, made it look like you were punishing Rodgers for simply not being vaccinated. And frankly, you know, you can't do that. And and that's really what I think could blame the situation. But you know, that said, uh, you know, you you have a lot of credibility in this town. You've been around for a long time, and things like this in this day and age will happen. And so I don't know if I'd say give you a pass, but certainly I have a lot of respect for you. And you know. Certainly don't think uh, there should be anything more than uh, obviously the apology that you wrote uh, certainly should suffice. So uh, I guess I'll, I'll just leave it at that. 
Mark, I appreciate it. And actually, I, I, I'm trying not to answer anybody, but, but with that in particular, there there is one thing that does kind of grate on me because it's not necessarily about the actual issue. And, and I'm not upset with you in any way, um, but uh, I did not present things in an appropriate way yesterday or the way I wanted to. But I did think that what was pretty clear was whether he's vaccinated or not is up to him. The fact that he lied about it is my concern. Um, but again, I, I, I don't, you know, let's not go there. Uh, I, I certainly uh, accept and respect your thoughts and appreciate them. And I more than that appreciate your taking time out to be with us tonight. Um, we did uh, have another moment with Matt Nagy today. I call it a moment. I don't know what your perspective is on it, but but it's it's been interesting these last few weeks as the man has had to stand there and take questions. Questions as as quote dead coach walking uh, you know for lack of a better way to put it, uh, Boomer Esiason reporting that that Matt had already been told he would not be with the team after Sunday. Uh, Matt clearly and strongly disputed that report, um, and so I'm curious your take on where that leaves us. Well, I still think there's going to be change on uh, on Monday, but uh, I don't. I, I would have to take Matt at his word and say that it hasn't happened yet. And boy, it just seems like you know, Hell's Hall. I always say about Hell's Hall. Whenever anybody says, uh, you know, sources that is saying somebody familiar with the thinking, the McCaskies thinking, I always say they're wrong because I don't think anyone's familiar with their thinking. I just don't. I, it, it just, it's just it's 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 just uncanny how. Uh, it seems like things may turn out to be right, but right now they're wrong. I mean, you know, uh, obviously the the Thanksgiving Day thing, you know, that that was that was wrong. So it's just interesting how how these things happen. And you know, I think in both situations, uh, people really trusted their sources. It doesn't seem like they're right, at least for this one, not right now. But I still think there will be there will be change. So um, yeah, hard to figure. But to me, it wasn't a huge issue because I think we know which way where this is going. Although you never know, like I say, you never know what happens at uh, at uh, at Hal's Hall. They, 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 things work very strangely there, so you never know until we actually find out. So I don't know what else to tell you about that. Yeah, I think we kind of end up focused on the wrong thing. Whether or not Matt has been told in, in most other years would not have even been an issue, but the NFL had this new rule this year where if a coach was told or actually released, they could start interviewing two weeks early. People made a big deal out of it. I think it was much to do about nothing, uh, but it really kind of put a spotlight on this issue of, you know, of whether he already knows or not. Uh, I think the overwhelming consensus is that there there will be change. And I want to get a little different uh, subject with you, because uh, I know that you are as studious with it and cover it as closely as anybody. One of the things that unfortunately gets lost in all this is that if, in fact, Matt does go, he currently has 24 assistants and quality control coaches, almost all of whom will also uh, be out of work. And, and, and it's unfortunate, but like Matt, it's, it's, the, it's the profession they chose, and they understand this is a part of it. But I'm wondering how some of those guys get evaluated, and in particular, Sean Desai. You know, I, I find him interesting because he was a surprise choice to be the next defensive coordinator, just eight years in the league, just two is even a position coach. He's had uh, a year to develop. Where does this leave him? I mean, how, how do you view his performance? What do you think the future might be for him if, in fact, uh, you know, Matt is not retained? Well, I think it's interesting that uh, in the last couple of weeks, the uh, defense has kind of, uh, as I uh, wrote today, kind of distanced themselves from the overall mess and made it try to make it clear. And, and I mean, I tried to, but in effect, has made it clear that this is an offensive even though the defense has not been like it used to be, uh, this is really an offensive issue that the Bears have. And 
And that's, uh, that's an important thing for Sean Desai, whether it comes to somebody maybe uh, in the name of continuity uh, keeping him, which I don't think is going to happen, but it could, but also him getting another job. I think he's in a tough spot. Um, but I still think he still has it on his resume. And also, you know, like, um, you know, he's he, it's, he's a, he has an interesting resume at this point in time because the Bears are, believe it or not, fifth in the NFL in total defense, but they're 12th in yards per play and they're first in sacks, but they're also 20th in points. So you can look at a lot of different things. I guess what I, what I would say is I think he's at least shown that uh, – that uh, that he deserves at least a look, either by whoever replaces Nagy or by you know somebody else in the league, and uh, and I, and yeah, I think he I think he's a guy who um, who you can look at and say you know there might be something there. I think he's done I think he's done well enough to at least earn the consideration of that. So, and he's also the guy like I said he's also the guy who shut down Joe Burrow. That's looking like a a, a bigger notch in his belt now than than it, than, than it did in week two. You know, it's funny, Mark. I, you just touched on something that I noticed last week in getting ready for Seattle, and they came in with these strange numbers where they were literally bottom five, bottom seven in every defensive category or almost every defensive category, except they were good on third down, and they were only fourth in points allowed. Now, you look at the Bears, and they're up there top 10, top seven, top six in a lot of important categories, but 20th in points allowed. And my theory on that, I wonder if, if the difference there isn't just the lack of playmakers. When Khalil Mack you know, gets hurt week five and is gone week seven when Akeem Hicks is gone for six weeks and Eddie Jackson's gone for four weeks and, and you know whatever else these other guys yeah you know, injuries are part of it nobody's making an excuse but I almost wonder if, if that's not one of the main reasons why they have you know given up as many points as they have they've played good defense for the most part but they've struggled in big moments and I wonder if that's because their big playmakers haven't been there well, I think that that certainly is a factor. Although uh, a team that is uh, number one in in, in sacks that, that doesn't have the takeaways they have, that's that's a little bit unusual. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what the issue is there. I think overall, I think it's tough to be a good defense when you have a bad offense. I think that's been true for the Bears for years and years. And you go in there, uh, the defense has a little tougher uh, a, a tougher kind of road to hoe because. Uh, teams that uh, face them always know that they're going to, especially Aaron Rodgers. He knows he's no matter if, no matter if he fails against the Bears defense once, he knows he's always going to get another chance because the offense isn't going to make him pay. And so there's no pressure. So there, there's no additional pressure on, on on offenses that face the Bears defense. So I think it's a tougher job. I think in general, even going back to, you know. Forever, I mean, you know, Fangio, whatever. Um, I think it's tougher for the Bears defense because. They don't have an offense that kind of helps them, and 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 I think that's what, that to me that's been the biggest problem. Not and and also the short fields too. When when the offense fails or has turns the ball over, I mean the the defense. I think it was the Arizona game really didn't give up a lot of yards, but gave up touchdowns because they can't put the hammer down, but they're still good defense. But and and on the other and the other thing the other and and the negative though is that in situations like against uh, the Ravens or whatever where they really could had a chance to put the hammer down against Tyler Huntley they couldn't. So I mean. You know, uh, against Pittsburgh, they couldn't. So it's a it's a mixed bag for for Sean Desai. I, I guess that's what I'm saying is there's some there's stuff there. There's something there for for the new coach. I think this defense can still be good for Sean Desai. I still think I still think the jury's out on what kind of a defensive coordinator. I think he has potential, but um, but because the, there's so many conflicting stats, like you mentioned, points scored, uh, yards allowed, um, it's uh, it, it makes it really hard to figure where they are. You know, Mark, as you're talking, I'm sitting here kind of smiling because I know Bears fans don't want to hear this, but the simple reality is 
If they close against Pittsburgh and Baltimore, if they finish those two games, they're playing for a playoff spot Sunday. You know, and I'm not suggesting anything's better than it is, but but that's the the, the strange reality of of the NFL right now. But let's talk about what is the most important part. I got to let you go. I know I've kept you too long already, but before I do, one last question. Um, I, I am. I don't want to say I'm a Justin Fields fan, but but I believe from what I've seen of the way he carries himself from the arm talent, from the athleticism, that this kid does have a chance to be a special quarterback. That said, I have been frustrated all year long by the, 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 the just the, the atmosphere in this town. Everything that's gone wrong for Justin Fields has been the coach's fault or the offensive line's fault or somebody else's. And and every decent play he's made has been treated like three great games. The reality is the kids played one good half of football in however many 10 or 11 games. And that's what that's what I expect from rookie quarterbacks. So I'm not writing them off. But but it just I don't know that anybody's been realistic about what we've seen so far. And so I'm curious about what your impression are as to what was accomplished this season and where he is heading in the next season. I don't think I don't know if he accomplished a whole lot, but I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm in the camp that says uh, uh, you can't tell what he's doing, mostly because he's just in a bad offense. And uh, I've seen too many uh, too many red flags about this offense, too many indicators um, that suggests that this just isn't going to get any better. That's one reason why I think they need to make a change. It's just off, this, this, uh, it's just offense has just been just uh, uh, kind of, you know so frustrating that it really hasn't done anything. So I don't think it's. I think this offense has not allowed us to get a real good measurement on Fields. I agree. I, I'm not sold on him as being the guy, but I also think that uh, this offense has kind of created that situation more than anything else. So. I guess I'm arguing with you on that one, Hub, because I just think uh, I think change is needed. I think he needs to be in a in just a, in just a better an offense that gets people open, an offense that creates conflict of assignment, an offense where the running game creates a better passing game. He just needs to be in a better offense. After two times, not the quarterback. Uh, I mean, the quarterback like with Trubisky was obviously part of the problem, but it's more just this offense just uh, is just a, a little too discombobulated to to really uh, maximize almost anybody. Uh, at any position, even David Montgomery. I mean, I think he can be a better player in a better offense. So, so I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I just feel like it's an offensive uh, issue. Uh, I guess I agree with uh, everyone else that uh, that uh, well, while I am not sold on, on Fields yet, I still need to see him in a, in a more of an NFL quality offense to, to know for sure. Yeah, Mark, you're not arguing with me at all. I mean, you said it at the top and you said it at the back. I, I know you're always going to be honest with us. That's why I always want to have you on. That's why I ask the question. So, uh, and, and certainly appreciate the insight. Uh, nobody follows it more closely or is more deserving of the opinion than you are. So thanks much for taking time out tonight. Uh, it's been, I think, the most frustrating part about the end of the season is that we've only seen each other on Zoom. These Well, in the press box on Sundays we've been able to get together, but there are no more home games. So I will see you on Zoom. You be well. And uh, I'm sure we're all going to be busy covering whatever comes next, not only Sunday, but uh, in the immediate aftermath. Thank you, Hub. I have a great day and have an even better day tomorrow. All right, Potsy. That is Mark Potash. And guys, we are now going to be all calls all the way. We've got another hour plus left. I want to get to your phone calls. I know some of you have waited a long time. Thank you so much for hanging on. Uh, the next hour, it's all 312-644-6767. And please call with whatever is on your mind. I am fine. Nobody needs to worry about me or calling and say nice things about me. You know, if you want to talk about what happened yesterday, uh, whether you loved it, 
hit it, agree, disagree, please give us a call. Also going to get to some of you good folks on the text line as well. It's all coming up in the next hour right here at 670 The Score.